You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College episode number 275, Woodrow Wilson, part three. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we have been talking about Woodrow Wilson for a couple episodes now. And this is the third episode. There's obviously a lot more to say about Woodrow Wilson, but we're going to wrap it up. But first, we should probably tell people about our little Facebook group and the giveaway we're doing, or we just did, or whatever you want to say. This past week, we gave away, or we're giving away this week. I don't know. What's the right way to say that? We're giving away a brand new White House Pets book bag. It's pretty incredible. (laughs) So we picked this by random drawing. It has no bearing on anybody who didn't post an ugly pet or the most beautiful pet. That's not how we did it. We just randomly drew it through the miracle of random drawing software. And this week's winner is Shannon Stewart. Hey, Shannon, that was a very cute picture of Baba O'Reilly. Shannon says that Baba has been an enthusiastic election night watcher since 2009. And uh, Shannon's from Virginia. And that's quite the state to be from when it comes to elections, because it seems like Virginia has elections every six months. Something happens controversial or interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, Shannon, if you want to send us through the Facebook group or uh, through an email or whatever, your address, we'll get that over to you. And everybody else, if you missed out, we're sorry, but head on over to electioncollege.com slash group, join the Facebook group, get involved. There's not just giveaways, but there are certainly giveaways. And uh, we'll reveal in that group what this week's giveaway is going to be and how you enter. And we would really love for you to uh, join in on the fun, people sharing articles, people uh, talking about, you know, just different things in history. And that's kind of what we want it to be, just kind of a cool place to hang out and throw in some little nuggets about history every now and then. Yeah. We don't want it to be a trivia necessary, that type of page, because there's already a lot of stuff out there like that. This is just a page for us to, you know, communicate, chat. I can't wait. I can't not wait to post what this week's giveaway is. You guys are going to love it. Nice. Okay, so back to Woodrow Wilson. Oh, yeah. Uh, We talked about his first term, and we're still talking about his first term a little bit. You remember that Ellen, his wife, had passed away, and he gets remarried to Edith Wilson. And she is one who really enjoys getting close with the crowds, collaborating with her husband as far as uh, making sure that, you know, different policies and stuff that she's interested in were really uh, pushed forward. And this really helps rejuvenate him to be reelected. He kind of didn't have that much of a uh, an interest in being reelected, especially after the, the grief of his wife passing. But Edith comes in and says, hey, let's get excited about this stuff. 
we're definitely gonna keep pushing forward right and he says yeah we're, we're going to yeah i mean let's face it woodrow wilson we might as well just call him executive order guy because he takes anything that theodore roosevelt did or william howard taft did and he puts steroids on it when it comes to the executive power he's like i don't know He's like Woodrow Wilson <laughs> going at it. He's writing all kinds of things in and he's got a Supreme Court vacancy that he fills with uh, Louis um, Brandeis. And uh, get this, uh, Brandeis was the first Jewish member of the Supreme Court. We probably should do some things about uh, the Supreme Court. At oh, some definitely. Point. Yeah. But but anyway, they're not elected. But um, the nation's economy in 1916 is in almost peril because the railroad is a big strike going on. And what are you going to do about that? Well, Wilson gets Democrats. He gets Republicans. He says, come on over to my house, you know, the white house and let's have a summit and nothing happens. And he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We are going to settle the issue. We being me, I'm going to settle this issue (laughs) and saying that the, Eight-day work week. Uh, not eight-day work week. Could you imagine? Eight-day, eight-hour. Boy, am I confused. You just like to the work eight a eight-hour workday, yeah, is going to be the thing. And everybody's like, okay, that sounds good. Eight hours a day. I like that. Congress says, let's pass it. Let's do it. And Wilson, he gains popularity with more and more people. At this point, there is a replacement in the Democratic Party. Uh, Really, Vance McCormick comes in. He is pretty progressive, and he takes over the spot from McCombs, and they really start putting things together. Uh, Wilson gets renominated. Nobody opposes him. And his campaign slogan is, he kept us out of war. So he never really promised to stay out of war, but he had stayed out of war up until that point. And on September 2nd, 1916, He accepts the nomination, and he also mentions that Germany, hey, if you continue to do this submarine warfare that you're engaging in, and people keep dying, Americans keep dying, we're not going to tolerate that. And he says, quote, the nation that violates these essential rights must expect to be checked and called to account by direct challenge and resistance. It at once makes the quarrel in part our own. So his slogan is he kept us out of war. And when he accepts his nomination, he says, basically, keep it up and we're going to war. So uh, there's a lot of ideas being thrown around. The platform is being put together and there's a lot of legislation about workers' health and safety and prohibiting child labor and unemployment compensation, minimum wage, maximum hours, all that kind of stuff. And this is where, you know, if you're a part of a union, if you are part of almost any normal nine to five job at this point, this is where a lot of the things that either you love or you hate originate from, you know, things like overtime, things like uh, so many hours you can work a week without being paid overtime, um, the, the different types of ways that people are represented in their employment. Uh, so Woodrow Wilson is kind of at the forefront of that, uh, some of it by executive order and some of it by, uh, the you know, working through the correct political means. As you can imagine, this is going to appeal to a large number of progressives, this whole new way we're going to have labor and Theodore Roosevelt says, hey, the only thing that's different between Woodrow Wilson and the Republican nominee, Charles Evans Hughes, is a shave. And furthermore, <laughs> he 
Hughes uh, was not doing very well in his campaign because, let's face it, he just was not running the smooth campaign. It's always hard to go against an incumbent in the first place, but he does not have the support of his entire party. And Wilson is gradually taking over a lot of these progressive Republicans um, to get their votes. The election happens and Wilson importantly gets California and barely wins New Hampshire by 56 votes. Can you believe that? It's crazy. It's 1916. And if you're a Democrat, you're thankful for the electoral college because, well, you look at the map and most of the country is blue, even though I don't think blue was the color that they used back then. It's probably like periwinkle. Anyway, <laughs> the <laughs> the Democrats win uh, with Wilson as their their guy, and the man who kept us out of war is faced with war. Yeah, that's right. World War One is raging in Europe, and you've got the famous Zimmerman telegram. Hey, Ben, you know, I've often talked about how the only thing I learned in high school history was about uh, how the vice president is the president of the Senate. Actually, uh-huh. I do remember. I do remember the Zimmerman telegram. Nice. Yeah. Remember that? It's, it's certainly uh, an important thing. I mean, if you are studying World War One at all, you're going to hear about the Zimmerman telegram because it's really what brought us into the war. And Woodrow Wilson says, quote, we are the sincere friends of the German people and earnestly desire to remain at peace with them. We shall not believe they are hostile to us unless or until we are obliged to believe it. Well, in March 1917, a couple American ships get sunk by Germany and the whole cabinet's like, we have to go to war. We don't really have a choice at this point. Remember what you said back when you were accepting your nomination, Woodrow, we have to go to war. So uh, he proposed that the United States enters war to vindicate principles of peace and justice in the life of the world as against selfish anocratic power. Basically, Germany is messing with us too much. They're messing with other people. We're going to have a declaration of war against Germany. Uh, and they passed that by pretty strong majorities, but very bipartisan uh, as well. So, I mean, that helps get you the majority, right? Uh, on April 4th, 1917... And we're going to war. We're going into World War One, or, you know, it wasn't called that at the time, but we're, we're going to have war. Yeah. And keep in mind that things were quite a bit different because right now uh, with NATO and all of that, you've got, hey, if Britain gets attacked or France gets attacked or any of our allies get attacked, we are outright allies and we're going to come and support you. That doesn't happen. Uh, Wilson doesn't make any formal alliance with Britain or France. Uh, He says that we are an associated power, uh, which means you're an ally. (laughs) So uh, the United States agrees that we are going, and I say we, that's because Ben and I are Americans, so we're going to say it this way. Uh, We're going to cooperate. Our military is going to um, work with the Supreme War Council in London, and the U.S., raises a massive army. This is different for America because we're not so used to playing such a huge role on the world stage. And, you know, you know, the song, you know, about over there, you know, that the Yanks are coming and all that kind of stuff. 
uh, the United States is not seen as this power that comes and wins the war for you. It's not until actually this week in history that the Americans come in and they pretty much destroy uh, the Germans in a battle and gain some credibility with both France and Britain. Uh, Meanwhile, the Russians, you know, they've got the revolution going on and Wilson is like, okay, we are not going to interfere with that whole Bolshevik revolution. We need to be very, very strategic in our positioning in the world. So we're all about doing away with the Germans and suppressing their aggression. As we've said many times before, we are not a war podcast. Of course, these things do affect the president, but we're talking about Woodrow Wilson. So in 1919, Wilson goes over to Paris for the peace conference. And he's actually, at this point, the first president of the United States to travel to Europe while in office. You know, transportation wasn't quite as quick in those days, and especially the days before Wilson. So it was not exactly easy to run the country from afar because you had to take a long time to get there. So he goes to Italy uh, as well as Paris. He he meets with the king. He meets with the prime minister. Uh, he is the first U.S. president who is in office to have an audience with a pope that is currently reigning. And he really um, does a lot of shaking hands and talking things out. Uh, he takes a break from negotiations on Valentine's Day in 1919, and about three weeks later, goes back to Paris and does not leave again until the treaty is concluded in June. And so he's really a hands-on kind of negotiator at this point with trying to get this war uh, stopped and trying to continue to protect the the United States at the same time. So, you know, you can't let up, but also want to get this over with as fast as possible. Yeah. So Wilson is on his way back home from Europe and he suffers an illness. Now, this is actually a little bit before that uh, on his way back through France. And on April 3rd, 1919, Wilson falls violently ill uh, during a meeting. And the symptoms of, they say it was probably influenza, but they say that uh, he never really recovers from this. He seems distant and uh, his health doesn't, is preventing him from really engaging. Um, So he gets the Nobel Peace Prize uh, and he comes back uh, to the United States and all the while, while he's trying to uh, get the House and the Senate to approve the League of Nations, which we all remember that about Wilson, uh, he keeps on falling ill. It's just illness after illness after illness. Yeah, so he has a series of pretty debilitating strokes at one point in about sep- in September of 1919. And well, he's not really able to function. He's monitored by his wife. Uh, she makes sure he doesn't hear uh, a whole lot of negativity and things that are happening uh, around the world. And also, I don't know if lies, but definitely downplays how serious his condition is to the media and to the rest of the public, even to some of the cabinet. And so it's uh, it's... A tough time, for sure, for the country, especially for the people in the, the cabinet and leadership around him, where 
they're looking to the president, who was apparently a pretty good negotiator, but he's unable to really perform much of his duties. So there were quite a few people, uh, majority of the Senate, who really wanted to have this treaty happen. But they could not get to the two-thirds of the group that was needed in order for the treaty to go through. So this creates a group of irreconcilables, and they oppose this treaty in pretty much any form that's going to come through. They want some stuff. They're not getting it. And all the while, Wilson is still unable to negotiate, uh, and this hurts the effort to end the war quickly. We could dedicate an episode or maybe 15 episodes to, well— did Mrs. Wilson run the country at the time? Did his cabinet? It wasn't until later on that we have um, amendments to the Constitution that tell us what the succession looks like. You know, we've talked about that before with, I know back during the uh, George Bush Sr. administration, Dan Quayle actually ran the country for a little bit when he was uh, undergoing surgery. But we have no idea. Uh, what was going on just because if you wanted to keep something secret in the 19 teens, it was a lot easier to do so despite being incapacitated and in such rough shape. Well, after he ends his second term in 1921, the Wilsons decide to stay in Washington. And it was rumored that he would run for president in the 1924 election. Well, that never does happen because he passes away. In February of 1924, he dies at home of a stroke. And uh, get this, he's buried at the National Cathedral, right right inside the National Cathedral. There is sarcophagus says. Yeah, and he's actually the only president who is buried or interred at the nation's capital, uh, you know, at the National Cathedral especially. And... Mrs. Wilson lives another 37 years. She lives until she's 89 years old, and she passes away on December 28th, 1961, which is actually Woodrow Wilson's birthday. And she was supposed to be a guest of honor uh, of the Woodrow Wilson Bridge that went across the Potomac River, but she uh, passed away before that event happened. So the, the house where they live, the Woodrow Wilson house, was designated as a historic landmark in 1964, and it's on the Register of Historic Places. Uh, Wilson did leave his daughter uh, $2,500 annually for as long as she remained unmarried, you know, just to help her uh, get through and to make sure she was provided for. Um, it wasn't quite as easy for women to have a living wage at that time as it is now. And uh, really, he, the rest of his daughters, he left what was his first wife's personal property. And then he leaves Edith an estate that provided for her for the rest of her life. And so when she passed away, that went to the daughters as well. So he definitely had a little bit of foresight and was looking out for his family. I almost wonder if in those kind of last days where he was uh, uh, incapacitated, if, if Mrs. Wilson helped with some of that stuff and she was able to put some of those things in place and uh, before he passed, but he definitely uh, left a, uh, a way for them to get by. Hey, Ben, uh, bringing it home a little bit to Election College and the Election College community. Uh, Johnny um, posted on the uh, Facebook group last week a picture. He was walking by. He lives there in D.C. And he was walking by the Woodrow Wilson house. And uh, 
it looks like they were moving a table or something yeah. into the house, but he told them about the podcast. So uh, uh, thanks, Johnny. And hey, if you work at the Woodrow Wilson house, um, I hope you're listening. And thank you for listening if you are. It's really cool. That's definitely on my list of places to go next time I'm in the nation's capital. Absolutely. And I want to give a little shout out, uh, speaking of people that are in D.C. that kind of uh, sent us a little message this week. Uh, my friend Kevin Lucas uh, works at President Lincoln's Cottage, and they're all about education and preserving some history and um, making certain that uh not only Lincoln, but his legacy are preserved. And it's a place where Lincoln lived and uh, was uh, there with some wounded soldiers and uh, different individuals who had self-emancipated themselves. Uh, And this is where a little bit of the work on the Emancipation Proclamation was done as well. So uh, just a little shout out. Kevin said he was enjoying the Woodrow Wilson series. If you're ever in D.C. and you happen to go to President Lincoln's cottage, which Jason and I are going to take a trip there at some point, just a matter of when, uh, ask for Kevin to be your tour guide, uh, if possible. I'm sure he would love to. That's awesome. And hey, another awesome thing that happened uh, recently was Lucius um, left us a review, uh, says that I'm a big history nerd, so I really appreciate that they have not one, but two episodes on John C. Calhoun. I forgot that we did two episodes on John C. (laughs) Calhoun, but you can look back in the archives and find those. Thank you so much, uh, Lucius, for taking the time to give us a review. And if you would like to be among the awesome people uh, to leave us a review, you can do so by visiting electioncollege.com slash review. You will be ushered into the presence of... Apple Podcasts. And why do we love Apple Podcasts? Well, that's where your review has a tremendous impact on us and getting this program in front of more awesome people just like you. So uh, if you would take some time, you can do that. You can also do that on the Overcast app. We appreciate each and every one of you. It takes just a little bit of time to uh, contribute. Yeah. And just a reminder, we mentioned at the beginning of the show, but head over to electioncollege.com slash group or just look for the link on one of our social media channels. You want to join up on that Facebook group, you can make sure to be entered into cool giveaways and interact with the community and just find some other like-minded people who happen to like listening to Two Cousins talking about history. Yeah, and be sure to join us next week. Yes, we are still in the Wilson years, but we've got a lot of color to add to the presidency of Woodrow Wilson, including Uh, the women in his life, as well as members of his administration. So we will see you next week. Uh, Same place, same time. Thank you very much. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 